All right, good morning, Rock Creek Church. Morning. Hey, there's a few people here. Um, <laughs> hey, first and foremost, how awesome is our worship team? Um, I don't know how many of you really think about it, but we are so blessed by that. And um, I'm blessed personally. Tanner, thank you for leading us this morning. Um, sometimes I get so used to being on stage that it's, it's so nice to be able to be led in worship as well. So that was special for me. Um, well, good morning. Um, my name is Alex, and obviously things have changed up a little bit in the last few weeks, but uh, life is what it is. And God is still the king. He is still in charge. And in the midst, we continue to worship him. So I want you to know that for you tuning in at home, there's still so much value in us gathering in this way. Even if you're online, even if you're not here in person, if you, even if we don't see you face to face, there's still so much value in us gathering in this way to worship God, to, uh, to learn together, and to continue to move into and be the church in the world. I don't, I, I'm a firm believer that the world needs the church now more than ever. And so I want to encourage you in that for us as Rock Creek Church. Let's continue to be the church in every possible way and know that there is so much value in you simply being here, tuning in. So thank you for that. Um, we've been continuing the series through Ephesians called New Creation People, and we've been emphasizing this so much. Some of you may think it's getting annoying by now, but we, we emphasize this so much because it, our identity and our perceived identity makes all the difference in the way that we live our lives. So we are new creations in Christ. Th today is week 13. I counted. We're 13 weeks into this, and I'm curious how many of you think that you know who you are by now. Um, and as I ask that question, I know for me personally, I certainly don't. I, there's, there's an aspect of this that needs to be drilled into us over and over and over and over again so we can see ourselves as new creations in Christ. So we're going to continue through this today. We're in Ephesians 5 today, 1 through 14. And wherever you find yourself, I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. Even if you're at home, I know you can get away with it because I can't really see you. But... <laughs> Our posture matters, right? When we stand, we're not only communicating something to God, we're communicating something, we're communicating something to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls, that we honor God's word this morning. So Ephesians 5, 1 through 14, Paul writes this. He says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. 
but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You can have a seat. Whew, it's heavy. This is a weighty, weighty passage. And I'm, it's okay to feel that. I give you permission to feel the weight in this passage. But I also want you to, to know, as we get through it today, I hope you see there's grace in it. There's a lot of grace in this passage, even though it is very, very heavy, and it can seem heavy-handed. But Paul starts this passage, and he says, follow God's example. Follow God and his example. How do we do that? That's a pretty high, tall order, right? <laughs> this passage builds on the passage from last week, which should go without saying. This is something we, we try to drill in as much as we can, that this letter of Ephesians, it's a letter, and it was meant to be read and heard all at once. So there's a lot of value in what we're doing today. We're, we're breaking it apart so we can understand this passage, but we have to remember where this falls. And the context of this passage, again, falls in this book that is so concerned with who we are, our identity in Christ. And we see this in verse 1. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. There's the identity statement. We are dearly loved children. There's an identity statement. You're in God's family. So that's my first point. I got three points for you this morning to really help us to understand this passage. But the first one is that you're in. You are. You're, you're just in. You're in. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in his family. You are in salvation. You are in righteousness. It's just true. We read in Romans 10 verse 9, if you... Uh, if you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. It's, it's, it really is that simple. You're in. And in this first statement, he says that Jesus is your sacrifice. Jesus is your sacrifice. See, the whole point is that we don't have anything to bring. We, we have nothing to sacrifice to God anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice. He's done it. He's done Jesus lived the life that you were supposed to live, and then he just gave it to you. And in the process, he took your life from you to the cross. This is a spiritual reality that is simply true. It's done. So therefore, the Christian life, the Christian life is not about earning or even maintaining salvation, right? That's not what the Christian life about, is about. The Christian life is simply about recognizing that we are saved and then living out from that place. That's the Christian life. So I want to give you a thought for this morning. The entirety of the Christian life is one of gratitude. That's it. And for some of you, that may feel different because as much as we preach grace from, from God's word, we can still so easily fall into a cycle of shame and guilt, and beating ourselves up, and feeling like we're not good enough, and questioning whether we have really earned our salvation, whether we, whether we really deserve it, or whether we're in. But that's, those are the wrong questions, those are the wrong thoughts. The, the thought is that we, it's, it's done. And from here on out, we simply live in gratitude of what Jesus has done for us. 
So we have to start here. I think that this is Paul's point to start with all of this. Again, knowing the whole context of the book of Ephesians, we start with our identity. You are in. What happens when we don't start from that place is we read a passage like this and we can immediately feel as though we're not good enough. We question, have I, been, have I been good enough? Have I been bad enough? Have I done enough bad things? Maybe have I lost my inheritance? What's, like, we, we, we can feel a bunch of insecurity, self-doubt. We wonder and we waffle about where, where our standing is with Christ. And I know some of you, especially there's a few specific sins given in this passage, I know some of you struggle with them. Right? I think for, for this morning, we can broaden this out to pretty much all sin, but he, he specifically grabs a few. He says sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, and greed. And if we are truly honest with ourselves and honest with yourself individually, this is a problem in and out of the church. I want to focus very, very specifically on pornography just because pornography itself is one of the greatest epidemics the world has ever seen, especially now. And the 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 interesting thing about it is it's so quiet. It's still so subtle, yet it's affecting more people than we could possibly imagine in and out of the church. So I want to take that as one sliver of sexual immorality because obviously there's a lot of different expressions of that. But that by itself, there, there are 1.3 million pornographic websites. That's a lot. <laughs> the porn industry as a whole makes more than NBC, ABC, and CBS combined. There's, there's a lot of money in that industry because a lot of people are wrapped up in it. And then when we focus on the church, two-thirds of Christian men seek porn on a regular basis. Two-thirds. And it's also not just a, a men's issue. One-third of Christian women seek porn at least once or twice a month. And all indications say that this is becoming worse and worse of an issue. It's not getting better. So it's interesting to me when we come to a passage like this, Paul specifies this as the first one. Sexual immorality is the very first thing he lists, and it's for a reason. This is one of those sins that the church has been urged over and over and over again, especially throughout Scripture. It is a big deal. This is the big sin that we're supposed to flee and run away from more than any other. It's a big deal. It's treated as a big deal, yet... This is the thing that is affecting the church now more than ever. It kind of gives me the sense that God knew what he was doing when he wrote this book down 2,000 years ago. This is an issue. So I want to emphasize this because that means that for if, even if that particular issue is your issue, I understand how you can read a passage like this and immediately go to self-doubt. Am I, have I done enough bad? Have I lost my inheritance? Do I, do I really belong? And the answer is yes, you really belong. You are in God's family. If you've professed faith in Christ, you're in. And I say this for myself too. I've got sexual immorality in my past. Uh, I don't know how you tend to view pastors, but pastors are no more immune to sin than you are. We're human beings just like you. I've got it in my past as well. But then we get into these other ones, impurity, greed. Come on, we've all wrestled with greed. When we look at lists like this, we should all raise our hand and say, yeah, 
I've dealt with this in one way or another. I doubt there's many people in the world that can really look at this list and be like, oh, sweet, I haven't touched any of those. I'm good. (laughs) But again, if we start with identity, then we can wrestle with this properly. If we start with that statement that you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you do these things, we can really misunderstand this passage. So there is this question, how should we read this passage then, right? If this is this serious and this urgent, how should we read this passage? Well, before we go any further, I've got a quick video to show you, so sit back and and enjoy this. I love that one. There's a bunch of those commercials, if you don't remember them. They used to be on all the time. You're not you when you're hungry, right? You're not you when you're hungry. Well, I want to propose to you this. You're not you when you're sinning. If we're talking about identity, this is the statement. You're not you when you're sinning. When you sin, you are actively not being you, who you are in Christ, Because I think Paul's ultimate point with this passage is that these things, these sins, they just don't belong in you anymore. They have no place in the Christian. So get them out. Sin does not belong. And it won't, right? So when we get to this statement um, that people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. When we get to that statement, again, instead of feeling this nervousness and, and anxiety of, oh, oh my gosh, is that me? Am I, if, am I missing it? The point is, I think, when you get to heaven, when you get to the, the final rendition of the kingdom, you're just not going to see someone there who's sexually immoral. You're not going to see a greedy person in heaven. They're just not going to be there. And if you are there, which your salvation is sealed. If you're there, those things aren't going to be in you either. And I hope that that, is, that's, that that provokes some hope in you and excitement, right? Philippians 1.6, another letter from Paul, he says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you, probably at conversion, right? You turn your heart over to God for the first time. He begins this good work. He will bring it to completion. The onus is on Jesus. The onus isn't on you. Jesus is in control of your salvation. It's his responsibility, not yours. And he gives us this promise. He will carry it to completion. So when you get to the kingdom the, the end kingdom, right? Then whatever sin that has been plaguing you, whatever stuff you're wrestling with, none of that will be there anymore. You will be perfect. You'll be holy. You'll be pure. It'll be gone. Which raises this other thought process of you just, you can't take these things with you. Even if you want to, you're not going to be able to take these things with you. 
So Paul says, get them out now. If you can't take them with you in the end, then deal with them now. Stop playing around. Paul still has a very serious tone in this section of the book of Ephesians. It's very serious, right? He says there shouldn't even be a hint of these things in you. Not even a hint. He says people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom. In verse 6, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, the sins that he listed, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. It's all still very serious. But we have to begin with our identity. You're not you when you're sinning. So the sin has to go. We've got to stop toying around with sin. It's a big deal. Because there's a danger with it. There's a danger of thinking that we can hold on to these sins that we find so dear. There's a danger in thinking we can just hide it and maybe it'll go away on its own. There's danger in that because sin has consequences. And one of the major consequences of sin is that it hardens your heart. It actually convinces you, the more that you engage in sin, the more it convinces you that it's normal. One of the things that I learned in college that has stuck with me ever since, um, one of my favorite professors, he said this several times and it's stuck with me. He said the danger of continual sin is not that God will come to a point where he will no longer forgive you. The danger in continual sin is that you will come to a point where you will no longer ask for forgiveness. So God's grace will never run out. He's with you every single day, every single moment, even in your sin. He is there, he is loving you, he's walking with you, and he's perfecting you, even if it doesn't feel like it. But there is danger that sin will become so normal for you that you will stop asking for forgiveness. If you absolutely refuse to give up your sin, I think God will say, okay, he'll let you have it but it won't be in his kingdom. And that's the scary thing, right? C.S. Lewis, um, great, great phenomenal writer. This is a quote that I've used several times from him as well, but he says this. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And, to, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that, are, all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Love that. Because again, it captures this idea. God will, if you refuse to give up your sin, he will in the end let you have it. He will turn you over to it and said, fine, it's yours. You get what you want. That's the danger. If it has no place in you in the future, we got to deal with it now because there is still a danger that you will stop asking forgiveness, that you will choose your sin over the kingdom. So what do we do? You may be feeling a lot of different emotions because obviously we, we all have sin. We all still have sin to different degrees, different things. We experience different things. What do we do with this? Because instead of working and wrestling with this anxiety of, okay, is this talking about me? Have I lost my inheritance? Am I on the brink of losing it? What, you know, instead of focusing and sitting there, the real question is, okay, I've got it. It's in my life. 
what do I do? What do how do we deal with this? And this is the last point that, that Paul gets into in this section. He basically says that sin needs to be exposed. You boil it all down, this is the point. Sin needs to be exposed. It's not an option. It's the only way. In verse 11, he says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's the other thing. Sin is fruitless. There's nothing good that comes from it, ever. So instead, expose them. Bring them into the light. Until you bring your sin into the light, it will continue to thrive in the darkness. That's, uh, that's just how it is. Sin finds its power in darkness and in hiding. That's where it thrives. Let's look to the, the words of Jesus himself. John three nineteen through 21. This is shortly after the famous John three sixteen passage, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and not perish. Shortly after that, he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear, there's that word, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So from the mouth of Jesus himself, he's, he's basically saying that sin and hiding are partners. They go hand in hand. And if you love your sin more, you're going to hide. You're going to stay in the darkness. You don't want to come into the light because then everybody gets to know. And it's obvious. You've got to deal with it, right? So he says, those who live by the truth come into the light. And I want to emphasize this, that these people that come into the light, this hypothetical person that Jesus is talking about, when they come into the light, they're not coming into the light with no baggage. They're not coming into the light and Jesus says, oh, sweet, you're squeaky clean, you're good, you can go. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all people. They're people that come into the light with their sin with the readiness and the expectation to deal with it. And it's an interesting statement that he says after that, so that it may be seen plainly that what they've done has been done in the sight of God. It's not like God doesn't see you when you sin in, in the darkness, but it's an acknowledgement when you bring your sin into the light, it's an acknowledgement saying, God, you know everything. I bring this and I lay this before you so we can deal with it together. It's an exposure of sin. So in other words, stop hiding. Stop hiding. Expose your sin. Bring it into the light. Uh, I feel this really, uh, really poignantly right now as a dad of a toddler. <laughs> um, Teddy's at a point now where you know, it, it's, it's emotional for me because it feels like he's still, it feels like I'm still learning his trust. Because he hides things from me. Uh, just this week, uh, hopefully he'll forgive me for, for telling this story, but <laughs> earlier this week he wet his bed, uh, as any toddler will, right? Some people wet it way later. It's not a big deal, right? The issue is not the bedwetting. The issue was that he didn't tell us about it. 
So he got up the next day, and we should have been tipped off on it um, because he was wearing different p- PJs. It's <laughs> like he's gotten to this stage where we didn't realize, we, we were second-guessing ourselves, like, did we put him in these PJs? But he gets up, and we just go through the entire day as normal, and we get to bedtime the next night, and as we're tucking him in, we pull out these wet, dirty sheets. And it was at that moment where, like, everything clicks. We're like, he, he hid it from us. He actually woke up in the middle of the night, shoved his sheets all the way down to the bottom of his bed, got changed himself, hopped back in bed, and never said a word to us. Which I can understand. He can feel a whole sorts of emotions and embarrassment with that. But you see the difference. If he had told us right away, we would have dealt with it. It's just, it's normal. It's, it's normal. You wet the bed, you deal with it. But because he hid it, because he didn't tell us, it stank and sat there all day. And when we went to tuck him in, it was still there. And then we had to deal with it then. You see, there's things in our life that simply will not be dealt with until we bring them into the light. You know, especially as a parent, there's times where where Teddy will hide things from us and we know exactly what he's dealing with or we know exactly what he's trying to hide. But still, there's only so much that we can do as parents until he tells us. How many of you know that? Right? Parents in the room, parents at home, right? Even if you know what your kid's going through, there's only so much you can do to help until they actually tell you. They actually open it up and bring it before you and say, help me with this. And I think that that's God's heart for us as a parent. God's not worried about your sin. He can deal with it. He's already dealt with it, right? He's not looking at you saying, okay, you know, if you, if you sin like X amount many more times, ugh, shoot, there's only so much I can do for you. You're on your own now. God doesn't think that way. He dealt with your sin wholly and completely on the cross. And he handed you his life. And now the rest of our life and existence on this planet is continuing to work and move into our identity to begin to live more and more who we are in Christ. God's not worried about your sin. You bring it to him openly and you shine it in the light and he's going to deal with it. And we should trust him to do that as a loving father. He's going to deal with it. But for some reason, we still get caught up in this lie that if we only just hide it, maybe it'll go away on its own. If nobody knows, maybe I can just scrape through life. So what, what does this actually look like for us? This may sound really hard, but it's incredibly simple. You tell someone. How do you bring your sin into the light? You just simply tell someone. You find someone you trust. You find a brother and sister in Christ. They can speak on behalf of God into your life and you tell them. You tell them what your sin is. You tell them what you've been struggling with. And in that moment, think about it. What you're doing, obviously God knows everything about your life. Obviously God knows. But when you confess to another human being, there's something different there. You're bringing it before your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're bringing it before the rest of your family. You're bringing it before God's church saying, this is coming into the open and I'm ready to deal with it. And then that person has the ability to speak to you with words, with human words, you're forgiven. God loves you. They can remind you who you are in Christ. 
that person is in a position to offer God's grace to you. You can hear and feel that you're not alone anymore. Pretty much any time that someone has confessed something to me or I've confessed something to someone else, pretty much every time someone's like, oh yeah, me too. You're not alone. That's a great feeling. When you bring sin out of hiding and into the open, one of the first things that happens is sin just loses its power. It may not be completely gone, but it loses its power. It, has, it doesn't have that same hold over you anymore because it's out in the open. You know you can talk with it. It's been exposed by the light. Confession, I'll say this, confession is a necessary part of healing. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sometimes we read that verse, uh, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sometimes we think about that just when it comes to miracles and all that, you know, I think he follows up with the example of, of Elijah um, praying for it to stop raining and it stops raining and then it, he prays for it to rain again so much, so much time later and then it rains. Like, yes, prayer is powerful, but the point here in context is prayer is meant for healing and spiritual healing, confessing your sins, asking for forgiveness, asking for prayer. There's power in our prayers for one another. But he says this, confess your sins so that you may be healed. It's not optional, right? And what I'm not talking about is the Catholic Church, their way of doing it where you get in the booth and there's this little mesh thing between you and a priest and you pretend like they don't know who you are. I don't know how that works. I've never done that kind of confession before, right? I think, I don't know, I could be wrong on this, but I think that they ended up doing that to try to help people feel more comfortable in the first place and then the tradition just kind of took off. But the point is to look another brother and sister in Christ in the face, in the eyes, and confess your sin. Get it out. Tell someone. We're commanded to do that in the New Testament. And I also do want to say this, too. It's like almost a public service announcement. If someone comes to you and confesses to you, you are in that moment in the place to offer God's grace and his mercy, right? Not to offer judgment, not, not to say, oh, that's gross. How could you possibly do that, Right? That's, that's an honorable place to be. If someone trusts you with their sin, you're in a place to offer grace. Just wanted to throw that out there in case any of you are still on your high horse. But Jesus, Jesus isn't going to help you if you stay in hiding. And that may sound harsh. Part of it is because he has chosen a relationship with us. He is not going to overwhelm your will to make you perfect. If you choose to stay in hiding, he's, he will honor that. Just in the same way as like, any, as a parent of a child, right? If you know what's going on and they're wrestling with it but they're not bringing it to you, you're not just going to overwhelm and bulldoze over them and just take care of their issue for them because that's not necessarily good parenting. Come out of hiding. Tell someone. At this point, we get to the, my favorite verse in this passage. This is one of my favorite verses, period. Great one to memorize. In verse 13, Paul says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. 
and I'll say this too. This is the NIV translation. Um, I like most of this translation, but some other translations will take this at the end. Instead of saying everything that is illuminated becomes a light, they'll say it simply just becomes light. I think that's a better translation if you look at the Greek, but it becomes light. Whatever is exposed literally becomes light. It's part of the work of God, the miraculous work of God. He will take your sin, if you bring it into the light and expose it, he will take your sin and literally turn it into light. And I think the clearest way that we see that is that it's a light for someone else. Right? If you expose your sin and deal with it and work with it and let God bring healing into your life, your experience with that sin now becomes a source of hope for someone else. If you will refuse to come out of hiding and expose your sin, you may be withholding light for someone else who's going through the exact same thing that you are. And I can tell you this from my own, exa- my own life, my own experience is that in those moments where I muster up the courage to expose my sin and tell someone my deepest, darkest secrets, you know, the things that I've wrestled with the most, the things that I've been most tempted to shove down and pretend like they're not there and stay in hiding. When I confess those things, God has used those things to bless someone else in my life. God immediately surround, he, he starts to surround me with people that have gone through the same thing or wrestled with the same thing and I can offer my life as a source of hope for them, saying you're not alone. Typically, that's the first great source of hope is that you're not alone. You don't deal with this stuff alone. But secondly, here's someone who's gone before me and has dealt with the same thing. It's not impossible. And here's someone who can walk with me. You see, the, the, the church, the church is, it, we live in this tension of we have this new identity. We are new creations in Christ. We are saints kind of forgot to mention that. Several times through this passage, there's those identity statements. So he says, you are dearly loved children of God. He says, stay away from these sins because they are improper of God's holy people. You're God's holy people. This stuff just doesn't belong anymore. You start with the identity statement. So for us as a church, we live in this tension of, yes, I'm a holy saint, but I'm not perfect yet. I haven't dealt with all of my sin yet. The church is a place where we need to deal with sin together, not judge each other, not push each other down, not look down at each other, but to walk this life together of gratitude, of moving closer to who God has created us to be. So I say that twofold. One, I think some of us need to actually trust each other more with our sin. I mean, we have trust issues in general. I know that, but we need to start trusting each other more. And then as a sub-point of that, we need to be more supportive as a church. We need to offer more grace. Sometimes we are very quick to compare our sin with someone else's. And if we feel like we are managing our sin better than they're managing their sin, we feel like we're better. (laughs) That gets us into trouble. And it sure as heck makes it hard for us to love our brother and sister. The church is supposed to be a place of healing. Jesus himself said, hey, I, I, didn't, I didn't come for the holy people. I didn't come for the righteous people, right? Doctors don't heal the people that are well. The doctors come for the sick. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The church is a, is a, is a hospital for sinners. That's what we are. So I want to end 
by emphasizing this, I mean, Paul ends his passage, he says this, he says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. One, that's a promise, but two, it's this emphatic, just wake up. Wake up. Sin is a big deal. It has to go. It has to be dealt with. Wake up from your sleep. Get out of this daze. Fix your eyes on Jesus and ask for help and just start taking steps in the right direction. Rise from the dead. Jesus has already raised us up from the dead, but there's also this aspect of we have to actually get up. And Christ will shine on you. So I believe it comes down to this question. Do you you love Jesus more than your sin? Or do you love your sin more than you love Jesus? This is an honest question that I think we can ask ourselves on a daily basis. Because I mean, honestly, we love our sin. We sin because we love it. That's, That's the reality of it. We don't need to beat around the bush, right? But what do we love more? If we love Jesus more, what we do is we obey him and we come into the light. We expose our sin and we deal with it. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at this week, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, take a step this week. I mean, you can, you can come talk to me, to Brian, to Pope. You can come talk to one of us. Bring your sin to us. That's okay. It doesn't have to be us. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It could be your brother and sister. It could be someone that you're close with in the church. It could be a family member. It could be something. But come, go to someone and confess your sin. Come out of hiding and just watch what Jesus will do with your obedience. Just watch what he will do. It may take a while, but you will see, I guarantee it, you will see your sin become a source of hope and light for someone else in the future because you brought it into the light and it became light in and of itself. So even now, with COVID seemingly wrecking the world, we still have this ownership, still have this charge to be the church. Let's continue to be the church. Let's deal with our sin. Let's walk in obedience. Let's be a blessing to the world and continue following Christ no matter what. Let's cling to him with everything that we are, wherever that takes us. So let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your unending grace, that your mercies are new every morning, and that you see us with a Father's heart. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust your church and to come out of hiding. To simply be honest. Lord, I pray that more and more would you mold us and shape us into the people you've created us to be. Help us to become who we already are in you. And to stop playing around. To stop toying around with sin. Help us to stop holding on to it. Help us to stop thinking we can just get away by indulging in it every so often or or getting comfortable with it. Help us to truly deal with it out of obedience for you and come more and more into a loving, deeper relationship with you, our Father in heaven, who has completely accomplished our salvation for us. Help us to live lives of gratitude. We thank you, Jesus. We give you this morning and ask that you would go with us this week as we take your word seriously.
pray all this in your holy and wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.